The Courage to Lead, Episode 68. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a great week. Um, I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please welcome Cynthia Colbreth. Cynthia is the CEO of A Wonderful Change Consulting and co-founder of the Business Action Alliance. She is a double-jacket graduate of Georgia Tech with a bachelor's degree in industrial and systems engineering and a master's of science in industrial engineering with a minor in human integrated systems. Cynthia has over 25 years of experience in manufacturing, supply chain, and human resources at Fortune 50 companies, as well as serving on nonprofits as a volunteer, program coordinator, and leader. Cynthia has won several awards for innovative and impactful youth programs and has been recognized as an exemplary coach, trainer, and mentor. She currently serves as president-elect of the Georgia Tech Black Alumni Organization and leadership development chair for the Phi Pi Omega chapter of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority. Cynthia's mission is to spark positive transformations in individuals and organizations that help them deliver sustainable outcomes to reach their definition of success. Cynthia, welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. No, I'm excited to have you on the show. This is awesome. Congratulations on uh, the awards. Congratulations on being president-elect. Um, Georgia you. Tech, two degrees from Georgia Tech. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, they wouldn't allow me to park cars at Georgia Tech. <laughs> that's just not. It's not a hidden, hidden gem in the state of Georgia, a state that's school true. that's the number three public institution ranked in the top 10 for every um, engineering discipline that they offer. So, I mean, affordable in-state tuition, um, couldn't, couldn't go wrong with that. Amazing. Yeah, it's a great, great school. Everybody I know that comes out of that school achieves phenomenal success. So yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. All right. I want to get into all that. I want to talk about your background, how you got started, how you selected um, engineering as your, mm-hmm. your discipline, and then the coaching that you're doing. And at some point we'll transition into leadership and courage. But before we get started, I have some questions that I ask. These are questions I ask every one of my guests. Okay. These were questions made famous on the television show Inside the Actor's Studio, where mm. James Lipton asked these questions of his Hollywood movie stars, television stars, and uh, stage I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So Sounds let me good. ask you these 10 questions. So Cynthia, question number one, what is your favorite word? Reciprocity. That's nice. Okay. Uh, number two, what is your least favorite word? Pivot. We have worn it out during the pandemic. Please, let's find another term. <laughs> well done. Uh, what turns you on? Um intelligence, ambition. Yeah. And what turns you off? Um, Blissfully ignorant people. Um, What sound or noise do you love? Hmm. The sound of Prince's guitar riffs. Okay. (laughs) Um, what sound or noise do you hate? 
the chalkboard screech scratchy thing. That's horrible. Yes. Yes. Um, what is your favorite curse word? I try not to curse a lot, but my favorite curse er is Samuel L. Jackson. So I'll just leave it there. <laughs> Love it. All right. Um, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I always wanted to be a backup singer for a famous artist. I just want to be the doo-wop bebop lady in the background. Yeah. Any specific artist? Um, well, uh, can't do it for Prince anymore. Yeah. If you can tell, that's my favorite artist. Um, Stevie Wonder. Okay. Uh, Anita Baker. Nice. All right. What profession would you not like to do? Hmm. Anything involving water sports and animals. <laughs> I know that's an unpopular opinion, but yeah. Love okay. them. Not touching me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, but don't touch. Yes. <laughs> All right. And finally, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Well done. Well done. Excellent. All right. Well, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about how you got started, talk about your degrees, talk about your coaching um, and mentoring that you do mm -hmm. and uh, whatever else comes up. Right. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. So we will be right back after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And we are back with my guest, Cynthia Culbreth. Thank you again for agreeing to be on the podcast. Excited to have you here. So tell me a little bit about your background. How did you get started and how did you decide you wanted to go into engineering? Great question. So um, I'm a teacher's kid. So both of my parents are educators. My mom's mother was an educator. And so all my parents' friends were educators. And I was the little smart kid in school. Um, and at that point, all I knew was that smart kids were either doctors or lawyers. And I get a little queasy with blood and things like that. So I was going to be a lawyer. There was a show that used to come on. I'm going to date myself called Paper Chase mm -hmm. about these Harvard attorneys. And so that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to go to Harvard and I was going to be a lawyer. Yes. Um, and then in 10th grade, I attended a summer program at Georgia Tech called Minority Introduction to Engineering. Basically, I went because my guidance counselor encouraged me to and because I figured it would be fun to be in Atlanta for a week because I lived in South Georgia, not as big a city in Brunswick, Georgia at the time. So after I went to this program, I came back and I said, change my mind. I'm not going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be an engineer. So my parents were like, okay. I was like, I didn't even know what they did. I thought engineers were the people on the train, you know, with the blue striped hat. I really, right. honestly, that's all I knew. Right. Um, and I got exposed to all different types of engineering. So we each day we focus on a different type. We did field trips to industry so we could see what engineers did. Mm -hmm. And that changed the whole trajectory, trajectory of my life. 
you know, I'm going to Georgia Tech now. I'm going to be an engineer because I can be a smart person, but I can do cool things. Mm -hmm. And oh, by the way, if I work in manufacturing, I could wear jeans to work every day. How cool is that? So um, when I decided I wanted to be an engineer, at first I looked at, I still looked at uh, MIT and other schools, but I was in the state of Georgia. Um, Georgia Tech was a highly ranked school and I could pay in-state tuition. And as I said, my parents were educators, Mm -hmm. so they didn't have a lot of money. And even though I was valedictorian, um, it was pre-hope scholarship. So I had about $3,000 to go to school and I could take that $3,000 and go to tech for about seven or 8,000 a year, or I could go to MIT for 20,000 a year. So my dad said, hey, we want you to do whatever you like, pick whatever school you want. But if you go to MIT, you're going to need to pick which is your favorite holiday. I said, what? He said, because we can't afford to bring you home Thanksgiving and Christmas. So it's going to be one or the other. So I quickly decided that Georgia Tech was probably the right place for me. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Very cool. Now, my wife and I, we love, I used to work at Lockheed Aircraft out in California. So I'm part manufacturing. Mm-hmm. It's in my blood. My wife and I love to do tours of different manufacturing facilities just to see what they do. Was it something that you saw specifically that, that made you want to do this? Yeah, we went to this place called Alcoa in Tennessee, Aluminum Company of America. And they had these huge, so the aluminum cans that we see um, that our favorite beverages are in, the process of manufacturing that where there was this humongous roll of aluminum that was as big as a room. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. I I was fascinated by that. So I knew I was a special kind of nerd, but I, I liked it. Um, I thought that was fascinating. And they told me that these types of engineers called industrial engineers were the ones who figured out how to make the process work, how to do the process improvements to make it more efficient and effective. And I'm like, I want to be an industrial engineer. Like I fell in love that, that day, that, that summer and yeah. wound up at my first summer internship was at Alcoa. Really? So at that same company. So, yeah. Very cool. Mm-hmm. And so what kind of things have you worked on? Uh, oh, I know wow. you talk about your systems background and stuff like that. Were you working with the, the processes or were you actually designing some of the machines to do this? cool? Stuff? I've done both. You know, the great thing, um, about my Georgia Tech experience is that I had a summer internship every summer. So when I left my parents' house to start college, I wasn't back at home more than two weeks the whole time. So I had actual work experience. So um, at Alcoa, I did I did improving the processes in the furnace area. So how can we use less materials, have less waste? The next summer, I wanted to try something different. So I went to work for General Electric Neutron Devices. So I had to get security clearance because they were making parts for nuclear weapons. I lived down in Florida, um, which wasn't bad at all, living in Largo, Florida for the summer. Oh, that's a nice yeah. place. And then, um, and I was able to also get a scholarship. So now my whole school was paid for. Um, I wanted to try something else. And I started working at Procter & Gamble after my junior year. And that turned into a 23-year relationship. So I've designed systems. I've improved work processes, um, tested new materials. um, And all the time, from the time I summer interned, I decided to go to graduate school. And I needed money to pay for graduate school. And Georgia Tech had a graduate co-op program where you alternate working and and, um, going to school. Well, P&G didn't have that program, but because I had built a relationship with the plant down in Albany, Georgia, 
I created one. So I was the one and only graduate co-op. <laughs> so I was able to get money to pay for school as nice. well as um, get my master's degree. And um, when I finished, I had one year equivalent of one year's work experience under my belt. Nice. So it was a wonderful experience. So I progressed from there, from the process engineering work um, to leading people. So the first person that I managed, I tell everybody, he really managed me. He was a technician. He had been there for 20 years. I had been there for nine months. I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I went to the training classes. I read the manual, but he really trained me. He would give me prompts like, Cynthia, don't you think it's about time to do my performance review? Oh, yeah, you're probably right, Steve. I think we should do that. You know, so he got me together and I was able to help him to get promoted to management. And I was prepared the next time I had to manage people because I knew the right things to do. So I value that relationship tremendously. That's great. So how many years at P&G? 20 Three and a half. Nice. Yeah. So I was able to um, work at the manufacturing plant in Albany. So when I left there, I moved to Cincinnati and spent 14 years in Cincinnati. So I started as process engineer, department leader, worked in the warehouse. And I was thinking about my career. Like I love the warehouse, which everybody can't say, but I'm a real industrial engineer. I like, I like Fort trucks and warehouses and things like that. Um, but I wanted to do more and I didn't want to stay stuck. And so the person um, from Cincinnati, who was over all the supply chain and logistics careers, came by for a visit to the warehouse. And I just casually asked, hey, is, is there something I can do to keep doing logistics stuff without having to you know, stay at the plant? He was like, yeah, whole PowerPoint presentation on careers and supply chain. And so a few months later, somebody that I had been working with on a project was leaving her assignment. She called and gave me a heads up and said, hey, my role is coming available. Are you ready to move to Cincinnati? Because that was headquarters. And I was like, well, I guess so. (laughs) So had a job offer. I had 24 hours to make a decision. Sold my house in three days. To me, that was confirmation and moved to Cincinnati. Now, when I left Georgia to go to Cincinnati, I thought this is going to be a three-year assignment and max. Mm -hmm. Stayed 14 years. Wow. Um, (laughs) And then I came back. When I came back, I transferred. I had been doing coaching, mentoring, developing people, leading um, employee resource groups all of this time, recruiting. I had been doing all of those things as a side job in addition to my engineering work. And so finally, I was kind of at a crossroads and I said, I don't feel like I've feel like I reached a glass ceiling, like I I can't do anything else. And I don't feel fulfilled anymore because I don't feel like my purpose is to come to work every day and chase trucks, 2,500 trucks around the country. So that was my job. I was over North America transportation. So literally I spent Easter afternoon watching trucks on the computer, trying to see where they were and making sure they were all getting to the place they were supposed to get to. I'm like, this, this can't be my life. Um, And I talked to one of my mentors because I was training people on leadership and operational excellence. And in that training class, one of the other trainers was an HR director. And she said, have you ever thought about HR? And I said, no. I don't want to do HR. Are you kidding me? The HR people are the folks that make all those policies and try to keep me from doing what I'm trying to do. No, no. She was like, well, just want you to know that six of the core competencies, all six of the core competencies for HR, you've done them all. 
I was like, huh? She's like, yeah, pretty much. You're prepared. You're ready if you want to do it. And there's lots of opportunities. And so she got me together. And that's when I had to change my mindset. Like, if I can do HR the way I want to do HR, then I'm willing, (laughs) you know, to do it. So I took my resume, switched it all around and really started listing all of the things that I have done in organizational development and recruiting. Uh, I was like, oh, wow, I really have done those things. And I I got really intentional. And that's something that's important to me is to be on purpose and to be intentional. And I said what I wanted. I want to be in HR, but I want to be able to make an impact. Please don't put me in benefits because I will just pass out. I will not make it one day. Um, I want to be at a plant. I have experience at a manufacturing plant. So I understand the work. And now I can do the other part and mix that organization and operation together. And so Once I declared that and said it, I was all in. And as I met with different people, the director um, that was over manufacturing HR wound up being somebody that I had worked with before because he used to do engineering. And he was like, wait a minute, I know you. (laughs) And what he said was, in his Canadian humor, you're not that crazy. I think we can work together. Thank, thank you. <laughs> yeah, and he thanks. sent he sent me to someone else because I, I also said, if I'm going to make this move, I want to be closer to home. Because at this point, my grandmother had passed away in, in Georgia. And I just felt like I needed to be closer. I had been on exile, if you will, for 14 yeah. years. And it was negative eight degrees that winter when I was driving to work. Oh, and yeah. I didn't see the reason to stay a, there any longer. That's a motivator. That's <laughs> extreme motivation. And so I said, I want to be in the Southeast. I want to be able to drive home to see my parents within a day. So the person that was over all of those sites met with me and the plant manager that was at the site in Georgia used to be my boss in Cincinnati. And she was looking for an HR manager. I was like, okay, I really can't say no because everything was just lining up. All the pieces came together. And so when I got to um, LaGrange, Georgia to work. I was still PNG. Day three in the office, we got a notification that there was an emergency 6.30 a.m. meeting. Mm. Right. And, you know, I kind of asked, is this normal? Is this something that we do on Fridays? Because yeah. the announcement that PNG had sold the plants um, and everybody who started, of course, the day before I started, we're going to be included in this transition. So no going mm-hmm. back to PNG. You're going to be with a new company. So um, that was momentous. Yeah. It's like, hello, welcome. And now you're not going to be PNG anymore, right. which after that long was something that I had to deal with. I didn't realize what kind of transition because even at Georgia Tech recruiting, I was known as the PNG lady. Yeah. So people didn't know my name. They knew my face. Knew that, yeah. yeah. So I'm not going to be the PNG lady anymore. Right. So I had to make some decisions about what I wanted to so do. Did you life. stay with that new company? Or I did. did. I stayed for two years. So, okay. I, and I'm glad that I did because I, I had been on the other side of mergers and acquisitions, but to be on this side, to see it from a different perspective yeah. was very good. I had to learn new HR technology that I didn't know. So I'm learning it from the ground up, which was very helpful to get those skills Mm -hmm. and to be able to, as I'm coaching myself, 
on how to manage through this transition, having a whole organization of 400 people that I'm helping to process this change as well. Um, So I I wouldn't trade that experience for the world, but I did stay. We made through the transition. It was kind of like the slow walk, you know, it's like the announcement came, but it took 18 months for the whole transition to happen. Um, And then with the new company, that's when I said, okay, now what do I really want to be? Because this is an opportunity Mm -hmm. to do something you always wanted to do. When I graduated from tech, one of the things I said was I was going to work in industry for five years and then I was going to start my own business. This is 23, 24 years later, better late than never. So, yeah. (laughs) So I had to make a wonderful change for myself. And that's what I wanted to do for other people. So that's kind of how how we got there. Excellent. But, uh, you know, it's so telling that you saw that as an opportunity, not as something that was being done to you. But how Mm -hmm. can I make the most of this? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. My background is in organizational change management. So we would work with companies that were undergoing a merger acquisition if the employees aren't kept up to speed on what's happening and why and how mm-hmm. you can lose some of your top people. Did you Absolutely. see that happening down there? Yeah. Um, we, we lost a few, but that's what we try to do is communicate. So one of the things that we had to give back to the new organization was you got to give us something to say to the people, because if, if, if I don't have information, then I'm going to make up a story and it may not be good. It depends on my perspective, right? Well, so. and that's what the employees do. If, uh, you know, the, the, the universe doesn't like a vacuum, they say, exactly. right? And if we're afraid of something, if there's a gap in our knowledge, we fill it with our fear. Yes. Whatever that fear is, if the fear is I'm going to get fired, I'm going to get laid off, I'm going to get mm-hmm. this. That's what we fill. And that's the story we tell ourselves. We tell the people around us, you have to stop that. You know, somebody exactly. in the company has to you, stop that. And that's, that was the point that we were making is like, somebody needs to tell us something because we have told everything that we know right now. So we need a little bit more information trickling in. Let's, how about, let's create a communications plan. At least let's have these milestones that we can say to people at this date, we're going to give you an update on this thing, you know, and the funniest thing is, and it's just all about culture and knowing your folks. We were trying to express to the new company some things that employees would be concerned about. Christmas gift. Hmm. You may not think that's important, but for me, even after I was a summer intern, I would get this Christmas package from PNG at school. All my friends knew that all the PNG interns got this gift. And literally, I would have a line of people following me from the post office asking if they could help because they knew there would be treats in the box, right? right. <laughs> you need me to carry that for you? I could, I'm like, <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But that's something that they look forward to along with retirees. I remember when I was a summer intern and seeing people that made it to 25 years and they got this gorgeous grandfather clock. And I'm like, whoa, that yeah. is very nice. And people look forward to those things. So we told them, Hey, um, you may want to consider at least for this year, giving a Christmas gift, even if it's not what we had before, but some token that everybody can count on they're getting, you could get box of fruit and a ham or Turkey. It's just people want a gift. Right. Right. So we kind of got poo pooed on that. Mm. The first town hall meeting that we had, CEO is down, the senior VP, they finished their little spiel. Any questions? First question out the gate. Are we getting a Christmas gift? (laughs) I'm like, 
those little things mean so much. And you know, that was a key learning for me. Like yeah. you, you think about all these like top line things, but those little things that make people f- still feel connected because they're having a hard time letting go. You got to yeah. keep those things in place. It's the little things that people key in on, you know, yes. I mean, you're going to park in the same parking lot. You're going to walk into the same building. You're going to mm-hmm. go to the same machine, do whatever you do. All that stuff stays the same, mm-hmm. but merging companies is like merging two families. Yeah. Think of the Brady Bunch, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Members. It's like, well, how did you guys celebrate this? This is how we do it. This, how do you guys reward this? This is how mm-hmm. we used to do it. And trying to come to some common ground there and stuff. And that's, it's all those little things that, that people don't little pay things. attention to. And I heard those things when I was on the other side from people yeah. like, you're trying to make us turn into the firm or do things the mm-hmm. way that you do it. What about us? And and that was important. That was an aha. It's like, okay, well, some of the things that the other company did are probably great and helpful. Why don't we keep them? Mm-hmm. Like, what is it going to hurt to keep them and allow these traditions to go forward as we think about what is the new culture that we're trying to create? It can't be all one or all the other. It's got to be some merging of the two. So, yeah, yeah. but I, I wouldn't trade that experience for the world. And I think the fact that I was going through it as well as trying to lead through it was helpful for me to get in touch with my emotions of how I was feeling. Cause I know if I was feeling it, it was probably 10 times as worse for some of the people, you know, in the organization. Definitely. But that set you up well for what you're doing now, right. With yeah. your coaching, you Absolutely. on your LinkedIn profile, you, you consider yourself a coach, a mentor and a spark plug. Yes. Talk to me about your coaching. So I, I think I've done it naturally for so long. So I was the one that all your friends come to when they have a problem, they want to talk it over. Um, When I was working in corporate, that was something that I was very intentional about, especially for my new employees, was having regular one-to-one meetings with them. And and I would try to be non-traditional. If I was going to mentor you or coach you, our first meeting may be at lunch or breakfast. I just want to know who you are. Because I think that's the thing that I found that I didn't like in my career is people try to coach you to be like them. Right. And so that's why I always talk about helping people reach their definition of success is because you need to understand the person and where they're trying to go so that you can be the best coach. And so that's important for me. And you can't understand them if you don't try to build a relationship. And so that's kind of, I naturally did it. Nobody told me I had to, but I found myself coaching so many people that I had to start scheduling folks for like, okay, well, let's see, uh, Saturday morning, can you meet me at IHOP, you know, (laughs) or whatever the case may be. But it was important for me because I felt like I had an obligation to help the next set of people to come through. Mm -hmm. And for me, being a spark plug means I I want to ignite you to do the best of what you want to do. I want you to be able to realize that in yourself. What is it that I want to be and what is it that I want to do? And I want to ignite that fire. And then I want to push you along and help you to go, 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 go. And it could be something totally different Mm -hmm. from what your parents had in mind for you or what your initial plan was for yourself. But I just know that once people get into that purpose, they get into that lane where they're supposed to be. That's when the magic happens. So I'm the spark plug to get you there. I want you to go stop doing what other people want you to do. What is it that you want? And go Mm -hmm. pursue that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Because a lot of companies, you're a number. Uh You're a a job role definition. Mm -hmm. 
and they try to coach you to that. And it's yeah. like, find out what that person wants. Where yes. do you want to be? Do you see yourself advancing within the company or do you see yourself doing something totally different? And let's work with that. I, I think you should always focus on their strengths. And, Absolutely. And, that, yeah. and that's what my career was like, because if I had listened to everybody, if I hear heard just work hard and trust the system, mm-hmm. who who is the system? And may <laughs> I have a meeting with the system? Because right. I would like to have a discussion, because if I had stayed the traditional path in the plant is you're a process engineer, then you're a department manager, then you go into maintenance. Mm-hmm. OK, I, I don't really like heights. I mean, I don't mind getting dirty, but the thought of like being greasy and oily every day at, and yeah. dusty because it was a paper plant wasn't really exciting me. But I had gotten programmed that that's what you're supposed to do next right. if you want to be successful and you do the, do all these things and then you become the plant manager. And so my world was the plant. So my high aspiration was to be the plant manager. I didn't know that there are other people at the same level as plant manager doing supply chain and logistics until Aaron Hutcherson, the man that came down, who was in that role, came to visit. I was like, what? He was like, yep, the same level as a plant manager. I was like, really? There's other jobs. Like, I don't have to stay at the plant and I don't have to be a maintenance manager. He was like, why would you do that? How are you going to use your your degree with that? I was like, right, right, exactly. And so I started telling people, even when I said I wanted to go to the warehouse, people were saying, nobody wants to go to the warehouse. I was like, I do. I, I like the warehouse, you know? And then when I said, I'm going to Cincinnati, people were like, what? But my plant manager at the time was like that was the best decision you ever made for your career is to leave you could have just stayed there and just bounced around laterally forever but my career didn't take off until I left the comfort zone so I mean it's just so important to figure out what you want you know and when I said I was switching from supply chain to HR oh my gosh People are like, nobody, no, why, why would you, I was like, it's exactly what I want to do. And you started doing it without yeah. knowing, right? Right. Kind of and so it was, it. it was natural. And I was like, yeah. oh, wow. Yeah. I, I worked myself into it. So, right. you know, the universe cooperates with a made up mind is what my mentor always told me, Martha White. And I'm like, yeah, she was so, so right. Love it. So uh, how many, how many employees did you have working under you? So when I was at the plants, um, in the HR department, I only had three, but okay. it was 400 people at the plant. And then I also supported the tech, tech center across the street. They had additional 100 people because all of their HR managers were in other places. Yeah. So they needed me. So I actually spent a day out of the week over there making sure that they felt some HR love. Nice. Um, but then before HR, did you have people before reporting? HR? I had um, 100 people reporting in my organization. Yeah. Very cool. So if I was to, I don't know, bump into one of these people on the road one day and ask them about you, uh-huh. what, what kind of leader would they say you were? What kind of leader do you think you are? Um, they would probably say that I'm definitely a tell it like it is person. Good. Um, that I am visionary. And that I believe in respect. So respect their opinions, respect people. doesn't matter what level you are. I feel like everyone is valuable and has something that they can give. So I want to make sure that everybody that I touch feels that and sees that from me. 
Was that kind of the culture there at PNG? For the most part, you know, um, I recognize that PNG was special when I hear other people talk about the companies that they work for. And one of the things is because of the purpose, values, and the principles that they have. So it's on the back of everybody's badge nice. all over the world, those same values that we have. Um, and, and one of the quotes that everybody always share with new people is that one of our first CEOs said, you could... I could lose every building, every piece of equipment and everything here in the company. But as long as you give me those people, I can build it back even better. Right. And so the value was all about the people mm. first. And so that's how I was raised. I mean, since being a junior in college for and then for 23 more years. So that is that is how I manage. It's all about people first. It's about operating with values, you know, and mm. so if it could make a lot of money, but it doesn't follow my principles. I'm not doing it, Good. you know, and I'm not going to ask anybody in my organization to do it. That, so that integrity is just so important and not take that with me. And see, I, that to me is, is refreshing. When I worked at Lockheed Aircraft years ago, it wasn't so much. If you had a job, you stuck with the job. You mm -hmm. may not like your boss. You don't like their politics. You don't like this, but you had a job, you kept the job. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, it's like, no, this goes against the grain for me. I'm not going to stay here and support this. Yes. And I, I love that because yeah. the, the businesses that recognize that and actually have the respect and have the buy-in of their employees are so much more mm -hmm. you know, profitable and, and productive. Yes. Than these other yes. Companies. I mean, That's and awesome. p and has been around since 1837 for a reason. So yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> They're doing something right. They're doing something right. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's talk about courage. Where did uh -huh. you find the courage to say, no, I'm going to do something that is unexpected. Yeah. I'm going to do this. You know, I always say that um, my greatest role models are at home. So my parents um, were the ones that instilled in me, you know, my dad, two girls growing up in the house, but he always told me I could do anything I wanted to do or be, be anything I wanted to be if I was willing to work hard for it. And so my parents, even when I came broke out with the, I want to be an engineer, they're like, okay, but we're like, we're here for it. Let's, let's make it happen. And so I watched my mom is like one of those really quiet people. So when she speaks, people listen, but she gets things done. And I just admire that so much about my mom. I wish I was a little bit more of the, don't have to say so much. I'm working on that. <laughs> I'm more like my dad. It's like if somebody needs to say something, it might as well be me. That's yeah. kind of my approach. And so my dad was, um, the first African-American school superintendent in Doherty County in Albany, Georgia. Nice. And, and by that time, I was old enough to be aware of all the things that he had to navigate and endure to get to that position and what it means to be the first, mm -hmm. because there's so much weight on your shoulders when you have to do those kinds of things. But they always encouraged me to just go for it. You know, nice. if you're willing to work hard, you can make it happen. It doesn't matter if your gender or all those kinds of things. People can't make the rules for you. So if that's what you want, let's do it. So, you know, my parents and I, I was an only child for almost nine years. So we would have like discussions <laughs> as a little kid, like um, we would talk about what's going on in the news and things like that. So we kind of, my parents say that we kind of grew up together. I think they were like 23, 24 when I was born. So it's like, you know, they read the paper, talk about the articles. It's no big deal. I'm six or seven, just, you know, talking about world sure. events and stuff, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but there was never any boundaries put on me of what I couldn't do. And I just nice. appreciate my parents so much for 
for doing that for me and giving me exposure. So, you know, we moved around a lot because education is kind of like corporate America. Mm -hmm. So we lived in a lot of places. I think I lived in four or five cities before I graduated from high school. Um, And we were in a really, really small town called Cuthbert, Georgia. It was Mm -hmm. rural. Because I was in gifted, I was able to use one, the one computer lab for the school system back Mm -hmm. then. In, wow. in elementary school, but my parents got together with some other parents and they created this social club and every summer they would take us on these excursions. So we went to the World's Fair in Knoxville, Tennessee. They took us to museums. They got together and got up money and got a, a woman to come from over from Alabama to teach us dance lessons. Wow. I mean, so these these folks were progressive, right, nice. in the 70s, but they wanted us to be exposed to many things to appreciate. And I appreciate growing up in a small town and learning that respect and value for, for everybody. But they wanted us to see that the world was bigger. And so sure. if we dream big and we wanted to do other things, that we could do it no matter where we came from. So Absolutely. that's kind of where I got it from. I've never been the person that would shy away from those kinds of things. And people are um, surprised when they learn I was pretty much an introvert. Like I would be the quiet kid in the room. Mm-hmm. But I was watching everything that was going on. And then somebody would say, Cynthia, you want to come and speak about this? And I'm like, okay. And I get up and talk. Right. Now ask me to do some kind of sports activity or animals or water sports. <laughs> No, I'm not really. Nah, not so much. much. (laughs) But being afraid of people, speaking in front of people or sharing my opinion, that's never been an issue for me. Awesome. Um, But the you're talking about having the the broad experience and exposure to different things. Mm -hmm. I think that's one thing that that is missing a lot. Uh, with some of our our younger people, mm-hmm. they aren't exposed to as much. They they don't travel as much, mm-hmm. and I know COVID put a damper on that for a while. But yeah. that's one of the first things we did with my daughter when she graduated high school. We took her to Europe, yeah, um, and took her to you know four different major cities just to kind of expose her to to mm-hmm. things. We let her pick one city and say, okay, you're doing everything here. You pull the maps. You decide where we're going. You plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so she had. I mean, she put the whole itinerary together for us and stuff, but it coming home on the plane. she said, the one thing that she learned was they're not so much different than we are. Exactly. You know, and that's, that's the cool thing is you have all this wide experience to draw from and it really helps in, in corporate America. And yes, absolutely. Cause you, you're flexible. I think me having moved around so many times, I always had to be the new kid and figure out how to fit in, learn what the culture and the norms were in the new place and figure out how to navigate through that. So I've been doing that my whole life. You know, and some of the programs that I do for youth, um, that's one of the things that I wanted to replicate is this whole concept of exposure. So when I was in Cincinnati, um, I was one of the assistant youth um, leaders at my church and I, the pastor came to me, he had an idea about doing a civil rights tour. And I was like, why don't we pick these cities and we'll do it. So the kids were usually out um, uh, President's Day in February. They were usually out of school. So we would pick that weekend. We picked a different city that was critical in the civil rights movement. And we traveled to that city so they could see. So we went to Memphis, um, Alabama. And then we even went to Detroit. And the biggest thing I discovered is some of these kids had never left the city limits. 
never have gone anywhere. So we did college tours. We went to see plays, you know, to just give them exposure to something different. One young man told me he'd never stayed in a hotel before. He was 16. Wow. So, but now he has, because he went with us and he got to experience these things. And so now as I see some of those kids that are graduating from college now, going on to get their master's degrees, I'm so proud of them because they stepped outside of what they saw in their house. I'm one group of kids before, uh, before everything got bad with TSA and whatnot, we went to Canada because we wanted to see the settlements where a lot of the people who were enslaved mm-hmm. crossed the border. Right. And there was a there was a whole city, an African-American city there set up. So they got to see that. So they got to witness border patrol. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and where do you have, do you have your paperwork and you just can't just go into someone else's country just because you want to, like right. there are rules and regulations. So that's been one of the joys of my life is helping the next generation of students to kind of get that exposure so that they all have a vast array of decisions and choices exactly. that they can make with their lives. That's awesome. Yeah. That is very cool. So uh, there's different types of courage that we need to tap mm-hmm. into on a daily basis or mm-hmm. in, in business. Um, intellectual courage, right? Mm-hmm. The, the courage to set aside the knowledge you have to make room for new knowledge. Yes. Um, discipline courage, setting a plan and sticking to that plan, even though there's setbacks and shiny objects around, right? Stick mm-hmm. to the plan. Uh, moral courage, of course, social courage. Um, if, if you were to pick one of those, what, what type of courage do you think is most important for an entrepreneur? say today? Oh, gosh, the entrepreneur is definitely the discipline, I think, it's to set those goals and say focus despite the distractions. I mean, how many have we had in the last 18 months? You know, I started my business in 2018. In October, and things were just kind of coming up, going the upward slope, I'm, you know, getting my clientele up and all that. And then COVID happened, because Part of what I do is I go into companies <laughs> to do my thing, right? So it's like, oh my, what, what do I do? So, you know, and I think um, working from home after working for a company all this time, it's like, what is the discipline that I need to establish for myself? Because there are days when you just sit at the computer all day long. I mean, I literally like, did I even eat today or, you know, whatever. It's like, <laughs> got to do better. And yeah. so I, I had to kind of figure out like what I used to do um, at work. I put it on the board. So I literally bought myself a whiteboard and I put, here's my goals for this year, broke those down. These are the things that need to happen. And here's my quarterly plan of what I need to do. I'm like, Hey, I'm telling everybody else to do this. I'm helping people develop strategic plans and mine is raggedy. So I had to go back (laughs) and, and do unto myself what I'm telling everyone else to do and practice what I preach because it does, it gets difficult, you know, just trying to stay focused like, no, we're going to get there. No, we're going to get there. And I won't use the P word, but you have to transition to do things differently. (laughs) It's like, okay, I better start learning how to use this Zoom thing a little bit better. Okay. What about these webinars? Ah, okay. Now would be a good time to work on that certification that you wanted to get. This is a great time to do that. So had to buckle down um, and make that happen. So I think for entrepreneurs, especially 
that's when you have got to stay disciplined and be flexible. Like And be flexible. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge, especially as, as an entrepreneur, because you never know what's coming at you. Exactly. You to be able to move. <laughs> move. As yes. You yes. Transition. <laughs> um, is there a type of courage you think that comes easier for you? I think, well, the moral one, um, definitely for me, because I'm all about doing the right thing. You know, even when it's unpopular, that's another thing that I learned from my parents and my grandparents. It's like, you just got to do what's right. And and as I get older, you know, it's doing the right thing. It's not about being right. Correct. It's about doing the right thing. And there is a difference. So it's like, are you trying to win this argument or somehow be the champion of something? Or what is the end game that you're trying to have for yourself or for your organization or your relationship? And so that's the kind of subtle change, I think, for me. And the other one that I continue to develop um, is empathetic or intelligence around seeing things from other people's point of view and being willing to learn something different. Because when you talk about process improvement, if you're not willing to try something new or see something differently, you're never going to be able to improve. So you kind of get stuck. So it's never been a problem for me to ask why. Why do we do this? Yeah. Um, because I hate because that's the way we've always done it. Like no, that's the that, worst thing you can yes, say to me ever. Drives me up the wall. Yes, exactly. exactly. And and I challenge in sorority at church everywhere I am. I'm like, okay, so why are we doing it like this? Or yeah. would you would what about if we try something different? Let's just try it. And if it doesn't work, we can always go back to the other way. Absolutely. Yeah. No, and that's, that's to me, that's part of the intellectual courage. It's like, yeah, yeah that's the way I was taught, but there's probably new information out there. Yes. Put yes. this aside, teach me what you know, and let's, let's figure out. Exactly. Very cool. Um, so you're a valedictorian in your high school. <laughs> yes. Right? Yes, I was. Double degree from Georgia Tech. Mm -hmm. Um president-elect of the Georgia Tech Black Alumni Association. You've, you've done all these things. Mm -hmm. What's next? What's next on your agenda? Ah, uh, that's a great question. Um, for me, my goal is about legacy building. So okay. what's next is in relation to Georgia Tech, I want to be able to impact, impact and influence increasing the percentage of African-American students who go to tech. Yes. We've been kind of stuck at the same level. So what can I do to help impact that so that, you know, three, four years from now, we're talking about how we doubled the percentage of African-American students. So that's big for me. I, I want for my business. Uh, it's funny that you ask this. And I have to I tell people that I coach, if you don't say it out loud, how are you <laughs> going to know, you know, that it's right. going to happen? Right. So I would like to be recognized as a speaker and coach on an international level. So I wanted people to, to be a go-to person that people feel like can give them good, uh, be a great resource for them to help them to be a greater success. Um, and, and I want to, what's next? I'd like to be married at some point. <laughs> I don't know. It's every year my mom and I have this conversation and it's becoming a little bit of a joke now. Yeah. Like I think last year we said, and let's not do it. She was like, this is going to be your year. And I'm like, yeah, mom, this is going to be it this year. I was like, mom, it's, it's okay. I'm good. I'm, it's all, it's all right. So yeah. it will happen. It, it will happen. happen, you know, and, and, and that's one of those funny things. If you um, tell God 
your plans and then he laughs at he you laughs. because yeah because you know I'm, I was going to be a corporate person I was going to be a vice president at P&G and look at me now and I'm happier than I've ever been my stress level is down you know when I stay up late nights I'm doing it for me and for the outcomes that I want yeah. so I, I couldn't I wouldn't take anything from our journey Nice. Now you said that you were, your plan was to work five years and then open your own business. What yeah. business were you going to open? I don't even think I knew then. I just wanted to have my own thing and not work for anybody else. Cause I'm a bit of a rebel that way. I don't really like people telling me what to do. I mean, I was a really good kid. I think maybe it's cause I held it all in when I was a kid. Like I stay, I colored in the lines, you know, mm -hmm. and I was the older sister. So I had to be the role model, you know, and do everything right and don't get in any trouble. And I did all that. So I think when I became an adult, it was like, no one is going to tell me what to do. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'll listen to you. You can give me guidelines and suggestions. And I mm -hmm. think that's great. But yeah. Um, and meanwhile, my sister colored all outside the lines and was like, what, what was that a boundary? <laughs> I didn't realize that was a boundary. I'm <laughs> like, oh my gosh. I told my parents, I was like, really, is this what we're doing now? Is this how we're parenting now? My dad's like, hey, we were much older. If she doesn't hurt anybody or hurt herself, we kind of just let some things go. I was there you like, go. Wow. Okay. Good job. All right. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. If, if people want to get in touch with you, yes. how can they find you? What's your website? My website is www.awonderfulchange.com. Okay. And they can connect with you there. There, um, on my Facebook is uh, a wonderful change. Okay. And on Instagram is a dot wonderful change. <laughs> or you, okay. yes, or you can email me. It's Cynthia Colbreth at a wonderful change dot com. A wonderful change. That is uh -huh. awesome. Very cool. Well, I will make sure all of those links are in the show notes. Um, and I hope people do reach out because you've got a lot to offer, and I can't wait to see what Thank where you go you. from where you go from here. Thank you. I'm so excited. Um, oh, and one more thing that's next, Harlan, I better put yeah. this out here. Okay. You have inspired me and it's on my board is I want to launch a podcast Excellent. so that people can talk about their wonderful changes. So Excellent. yes, putting you down as a guest on my I show when I get a launch. Thank perfect. you. <laughs> All right, Cynthia, thanks so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Listeners, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you do, make sure you Share it with your family, friends, and colleagues, and stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan, saying so long for now.